Welcome to Good People, Cool Things, the podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. I'm your host, Joey Held, and today's guest is Maggie Grabmeyer of Maggie Gently, who just had her debut EP launch not too long ago. And so we're going to get into all of that, the making of that EP, her writing process. And of course, since we're having a lot more time at home now, we also dive into the best video games to play during quarantine. So lots of good stuff in this one. Uh, For any musician or anyone that's trying to promote their brand, lots of good insights. And a quick reminder, of course, you can get in touch with Good People Cool Things by sending an email, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com or reaching out on Facebook or Twitter at GPCT Podcast. All right, let's dive on in with Maggie. To get started, I'll ask probably what you're most excited about right now, which is your new EP. Tell us all about it. I've been working on it for a really long time. It's been more than a year of um, from the writing it to this this moment. Um, about a year and a half, actually. I wrote most of the songs right around the beginning of 2019 in the first few months of that year. Um, it's about a painful friend breakup and how I kind of coped with all of that. And I now can realize that writing the songs themselves was a way of coping with the the heartbreak of, of losing a friendship that meant a lot to me. So yeah, five tracks of uh, sadness. <laughs> <laughs> Does the friend know it's about them? We are not uh, in contact, so I don't know. I, you know, don't break up with friends all that often, so... It's <laughs> fair, it's fair. <laughs> you know, I don't think it would be too hard for for the person to figure it out but um yeah i don't know well i think that's something that most of us have gone through and yeah it's not a great experience um by any means but i think you know you do a good great job of capturing that that sadness and there is a lot of emotion that goes into it um so you said that it took uh, a couple months to kind of put this all together or at least the, the writing process. Um, can you kind of dive into what that was like? Do you have a sort of a, a go-to process that works for you or is it kind of different from song to song? Well, in this instance, it was very different before I was writing songs for Maggie gently. I was in a band called the total Bettys, And so every time I wrote a song, I kind of had in my head what was going to happen to it. Like, okay, I'll send it to my bandmates and then, you know, we'll do this and that. And then this, you know, it just was a little more, clear about what would happen to the songs but uh i started writing these uh while the band was still together and i was writing total betty's music and then i was also writing this new music that i was like this doesn't really sound like like that band the total betty's is a pop punk band and i was writing these songs that were a little bit quieter and slower and they just had like a different tone to them and when i was imagining what they would sound like with a band i was like you know it's just different from what we had been doing. So I kind of just put them in my pocket and I was like, these are for later. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in writing them, it was like, you know, it, they all kind of came out of this same situation and, and the different points in the breakup where it's like deciding like, is, can I really do this? Um, is it, is it worth it for me? Will I regret it? You know, all the way up until like, okay, I did what I needed to do and I'm going to start feeling better about it now. So I think that it's kind of cool to have little moments at each stage of the process. They're kind of encapsulated, um, but they were all written really like freely. I didn't know I was going to have a solo project then. You know, I just was kind of writing music for myself. So I wasn't writing them with anything in mind except kind of like a musical diary. Nice. I think that's when music is at its best is when it is kind of like a diary like that. Um, so I, I can understand how that was a very both healing uh, while at the same time kind of emotional process. Oh, so after you've gone through the writing, take us through the, the rest of the creation. Did were you able to like nail everything in one take? Uh, was it, was it a lot more than that? I always hear stories of that and I'm like, that person is lying. Like there's no way you can, you can get everything immediately on the first try. I mean, it, it totally depends. Like when I was recording with the total Bettys, we had been practicing together 
and playing shows, playing these songs together for a long time. But when I went into the studio for this project, I knew the songs pretty well, right? I, I wrote them. I was practicing them and playing solo. Um, but I also had a band brought in. My brother played the drums and we weren't able to play together a whole lot before we went into the studio. And my friend Sinclair played bass. And likewise, we were we had like parts written, but once we got into the studio and heard how everything was sounding all put together, we were changing things up. It definitely was not a one take kind of situation. <laughs> and this was a really unusual way for me to do things. I'd never recorded music in this way before. And I had a, a producer, Eva Treadway, who also wrote the lead guitar parts. So working with her and changing things up in the moment, it, it felt really organic and kind of scary because I didn't know how I was going to sound at the end of the day. I'd never heard it with all the instruments until like it was done being recorded. So it was a really organic process uh, and kind of fun. I don't know if I prefer one way or over the other. Being in the studio isn't exactly my favorite thing in the world anyways, but um, <laughs> I am really happy with how it came out. That's awesome. So you like from recording it to hearing the final product did you you didn't hear like demos along the way or was it uh, pretty much no that's crazy yeah i mean i had demoed my part i play guitar and sing and then i sent it to my brother and he would send me back stuff and i would be like okay that sounds good um but for the the lead guitars I mean, that makes a huge difference and the bass makes a huge difference. And also just the other special touches that a producer can bring in, like uh, guitar tone and, and feedback and effects and buildups. Like those are the things that it's hard to really imagine what it'll sound like until you hear it mixed by a professional. Yes. And every time I have tried to mix music, I am reminded I'm not a professional. So it is very impressive to hear the kinds of I know. Uh, the kinds of like amplification uh enhancements kind of oh tell me about it like yeah. i try to record my own music all the time and it's just and sometimes i'm like oh this is sounding pretty good and then when i hear grace do it my engineer i'm like oh god <laughs> <laughs> forget i have ever sent you this <laughs> yeah this is the rawest of demos that i exactly. said don't even don't even bother with it it's fine <laughs> so then from the time that you kind of had all this ready to go and to the release date is that just the the worst waiting period ever yes it absolutely is <laughs> it's like there's so much to do at this point i was kind of like building up my like identity as a solo performer uh as well as like working out how to put out an album so i ended up teaming up with brace cove records from minneapolis to um put out the physical music so they made a run of tapes for me and they're also doing some other cool merch like shirts and buttons and stuff um so finding the right label to work with was definitely a process um i'm really happy i ended up going with them though they're really great people and that is uh the most important thing in my opinion and then just yeah. doing all the other like pr planning and and then of course you know, a month before, two months before my release date, we're all sheltering in place. And I'm like, what's going to happen? Is everything still going to be okay? Um, I know a lot of musicians push back their release dates to kind of like wait this thing out, but I literally could not wait any longer. <laughs> so have you, there's a lot that I want to get into as far as like the marketing and, and even branding yourself, which I think is an interesting uh, thing that I think can get overlooked sometimes. You're all about the album but you've got your own self to put out there too as mm -hmm. a solo artist um but as far as music in the times that we are in right now these uncertain times as every commercial <laughs> likes to remind us of have you exactly yes yes these unprecedented times have you found yourself um partaking in in virtual concerts or how are you kind of uh surviving in lieu of touring yeah, so I'm really, like, the, the inability to tour is probably, like, professionally and musically the saddest part of this. I can't play a release show, you know. I mean, there's a lot of sad things going on. But in terms of, like, m my own career, I was really looking forward to touring as Maggie Gently and, you know, building out my touring band and, and going to new places. I was supposed to play a festival in Canada 
I'd never been, uh, never toured in Canada before. So I was really looking forward to that. Um, but I have been doing a few virtual shows on Instagram live and on YouTube and I really enjoy it. I've been watching a ton. It's like, I'm kind of spoiled for choice here. There's just so much (laughs) out there and so many people are putting stuff out for free and, putting out like demos and b-sides and and kind of helping us like fill this space with with new music and experiences and i really really love that so i think there's a lot of wonderful music coming out right now and i don't know if we would have gotten a lot of these like behind the scenes things if it weren't for this situation yeah and i think it's very interesting too to see kind of see into the homes of some of these people. And oh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, like their pets, which is, I always enjoy a good dog cameo from this. Uh, I'm a big fan of seeing the different types of sofas that are uh, in these folks' homes because mm. I think they're very, they very much encapsulate their personalities. Have uh, you read The Hard-Boiled Wonderland and the End of the World? I have Haruki not. Haruki Murakami. I just started it and there's this whole like long, long bit about how he judges people by how comfortable their couches are or if they're just like show sofas anyways that's funny it's just like i read it yesterday and it's all like coming together in my mind that's awesome i i would get a big upgrade in his uh in his mind since i recently upgraded my sofa and significantly more comfortable you know if you're gonna be at home sitting around all day you might as well have a nice comfy sofa i know and it's i mean natural wear and tear is gonna happen but it is kind of amazing how like everything feels comfortable in the store it seems like or at least like most most of them you're like oh yeah this is this is pretty good and then a week after you have it you're like this sucks that's why i'm afraid to upgrade honestly it's like it's a big investment you got to make sure you know what you're getting mm-hmm. it's yeah it's and i i don't believe most places will let you return a sofa but maybe i don't know maybe you could get some sort of year-long warranty and just spill pasta sauce all over it and then you can return it that way that's a good idea. I'll look into that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm encouraging a sofa fraud out here. Or <laughs> so you kind of touched on this a little bit with Instagram Live and uh, YouTube doing these concerts. But let's imagine we're before social distancing uh, and presumably down the road when we're back to kind of a new, you know, kind of our, our normal. Uh, what other ways to market both yourself and your album have you found have worked well or maybe ones you've tried where you're like oh that actually did not work at all it's a lot of like creativity honestly the music world is so confusing i don't have like a pr budget necessarily so a lot of what i've been doing has been you know stuff I've been doing on my own. I do have someone who is helping with like management stuff in this time until the end of my album cycle, Britt Hughes. And she normally works for this record label and collective called Common Ground. So having her expertise kind of guiding me and helping me strategize has been super helpful. Um, But yeah, in terms of like how I've been marketing this EP, a lot of it is just I've um have a lot of contacts from from my previous band, people who have written about the Total Betties or you know, put us on a playlist or something and also it's kind of expanding on that and being like okay, a lot of it has happened in the past 2 years since I last put out music, like what's what's happening now? What can I what can I do? And I do think Spotify is a huge part of it. Um if people add the song to playlists and stuff that really helps broaden the reach. And then also PR and, and uh, music blogs and doing interviews like this or podcasts, like all that stuff. It's just, you know, the thing about music is it's gotta, it's gotta touch someone or else, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter (laughs) how many, how many, you know, blogs you pitch it to if someone likes it and and they care about it and they hold it close to their heart and they put it on a mixtape and give it to their friend like that's the best that's what you really want to happen goodness i miss the days of mixtapes and <laughs> now it's like i, I make a, i make yeah. a spotify playlist for someone yeah. that's like playlist for ramona and then i'll like text it to her or something you know send me that, send me that link so you send know me the I, link. you know i <laughs> i know you care uh, that that was impossible for me to say that sentence um 
going to the Spotify playlist, have you proactively been trying to get your music on there? Because I think this is a big thing for artists. I it's it's definitely a way I've discovered new music is on playlists, either that Spotify is curated for me or that someone has recommended. Uh, occasionally. I'll find something on a playlist where I'm like, I don't think this fits this playlist at all, but I also still like this song, so I'm not super mad about it, uh, which maybe just yeah. speaks to my like weird eclectic tastes being all well, over the map. Well, maybe that person really figured you out and they yeah. really knew what to do. <laughs> They're like, What's the weirdest mix of songs I can put on a thing? And Joey will like it. Um, so have, have you proactively reached out for that or is it um, just people are, are kind of uh, vouching for your music by submitting it? It kind of is both. I mean, there you can submit your songs to Spotify for consideration on Spotify's curated playlists. Those are a little bit trickier to kind of like get on because I'm sure everybody who puts anything on Spotify is submitting to be on one of those Spotify playlists. Um, so no luck on that so far, but I still have a, a few days. <laughs> um, but then also it's like, you know, when a radio show will will play my song on the air and then they put their music on a Spotify playlist. And then if you're a fan of that radio show, you'll go back and listen to it. So a lot of that stuff happens organically and is really nice. And then sometimes it's like there's a playlist I really love and the person in the in the comments on their on their playlist say, like, if you want to submit music, here's how to do it. And then it's like, well, why not? Yeah, I like that. So you mentioned how uh, some radio stations have played your song. I was recently rewatching that thing you do, which I think has one of the greatest scenes in any movie is when they first hear their song on the radio and they're just like running through the city so they can all meet up. At... I don't think I have I ever seen that movie. Oh Who's my goodness. It's uh, it's Tom Hanks's directorial debut. Oh yeah. So I, he's in I it. never saw that, but I do know what you're talking about now. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yes. Well, I want to uh, have that. I want to have that moment where I yes. run in the street. I don't know who I would run to. <laughs> I'll run to somebody though. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what was your reaction the first time you heard your music on a radio station? Cause that's a pretty, pretty big moment. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's totally cool. Um, I think that since, you know, I've had this experience with the Total Betty's and kind of watching that band grow. And when I started the Total Betty's, I like had no idea about anything. So every little milestone felt like the hugest thing in the world. And now it still really does feel extremely huge and humbling. And it's a great feeling to know that someone likes my music at this point, you know, being played on a radio show is amazing. And you know, even equally as amazing as someone like DMing me on spot on uh, Instagram and just being like, I heard your song for the first time. I really love it. I just want to let you know, like I really related to it. And that feels like the most amazing feeling ever. That's awesome. Uh, especially because, you know, I, I think of musicians that get like, you know, if, if you're rude to someone one day, like that might be their only interaction to you. Um, and it's like messages like that, I think, really hammer home like how powerful music can be and why it is important to be engaging with your fans like that. Totally. And never be rude. Why would you be rude? Just don't be rude to people. That's a, that's a good, <laughs> good general lesson for life. And yet. Yeah, seriously. It's sometimes. Like... I guess if, if you were to like smack me in the face to get my attention, maybe I'd be a little ticked off but i'd also kind of admire the hustle if, if that was like your yeah. your way to introduce yourself like why not yeah i mean obviously prote protect your boundaries but <laughs> at the same time it's like you know these people are if someone goes out of their way to like tell you how much your music means to them like that is a huge moment i, I mean you just can't take that kind of stuff for granted no definitely not it's it's a great moment for sure Okay, so we're going back now. We've, we're leaving current times. We're going to slide the, the timeline over. I'm like gesturing around the room. You can't see it all. <laughs> um, but there is a timeline being slid. We're going back to the first album that you ever bought. If you don't remember this, you can also do the first song where you heard it. And like, I, I always think like musicians have a, a more innate sense of like, identifying everything that's in a song where like a, a song will hit you and it's like oh this is like a perfectly written song mm. 
So what was one of those for you? It's funny. I think like it, it totally depends. Like as a singer and a, a vocalist and songwriter, when I hear a song, the first thing I notice are like if the lyrics are really meaningful to me. Whereas like my girlfriend, for example, is like an electronic musician. And when she hears a song, she could be like, I love this song. And I'd be like, oh, it's so sad. And she's like, really? I had no idea. She like doesn't even know what the <laughs> words are. It's astounding. But <laughs> anyways, back to your question. Um I don't know what the first album I bought is. I have like a memory of like what looking at my CD case when I was a youth and I had like Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. I had Christina Aguilera. I had Beyonce Crazy in Love. I had like the Spice Girls. Uh, I really loved, you know, pop stars. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There is a trend there. Yes. Yes. yes, (laughs) uh, I I clearly had a thing going. I really loved Brandy. I had uh, Never Say Never. Um I don't, I think my favorite thing then was singing along. And so if a song was like really in my range and when I was young, I had a different range than I do now, but (laughs) I used to love like singing along with, you know, the songs that I loved. And if they meant something to me, like Reflection by Christina Aguilera was like one of my favorites. I used to just lay on my bed and sing that song, you know, the song from Mulan. Yes. A true classic true classic but um i mean going through my life there are other albums and songs that really touched me in an interesting way like when i first heard avril lavigne hearing like a girl rocker who was young and cool and you know punk rock tearing out malls yeah like Yeah. yeah and it's like kind of funny to think that she was like this this idol right but she totally was in my generation like i didn't really have a lot of women rock stars and so when i like first heard avril lavigne i was like this is the most amazing thing in the world (laughs) i loved her i still love her i went and saw her in concert last year oh nice yeah and then in in high school like finding emo music for the first time and pop punk that was also totally huge for me and hearing like these dancey upbeat energetic songs that were like also kind of grungy and angry and angsty like i loved that yeah i feel like we i i i mean just judging from everything you've said it sounds like we're about the same age and i i I totally agree i i feel like there was kind of a knock on emo in high school of like oh you're emo and it's like, but some of those songs are just super fun. Also, what an insult, just saying what what you are based on what you listen to. Yeah, and like, you know, at my school anyways, everyone, you know, had their like crowd, right? And the emo kids mm-hmm. or the, the pop punk kids, we were like our own little crowd. <laughs> and I was in a band too in high school too, so, you know, and my band would cover, we covered Lady Gaga once. <laughs> so we, 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 we you know, we expanded our horizons a little bit, but yeah, I really loved Say Anything. They were my like most favoritist band when I was in high school and talking to my friends about it and just getting all hyped up about music. Like people don't really talk about that mu- music that way to me anymore and I miss it. <laughs> hey, anytime you want to geek out over okay, pop cool. punk. I'll call you. Yes, we got, <laughs> I got your back. Um, I'm just going to give a, a quick plug because I was listening to their CD the other day. Uh, Lucky Boy's Confusion who is always near and dear to my heart because they are a Chicago area band, which is where I grew up. Mm -hmm. Um, But terrific pop punk in that vein um, in the early 2000s. Still releasing music today after a a lengthy hiatus, but that'll take you back to high school for sure. Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is something I always like to ask musicians as well. Obviously, you're not doing any touring right now, but of course you have done many shows in the past and i think it's always fun to hear what was the worst gig that you ever played Ooh, this is kind of an embarrassing one one of the (laughs) first shows i ever played with the total Bettys was um we like wanted to travel a little bit outside san francisco so that no one we knew could come to the show (laughs) because (laughs) we were like we were just kind of like testing the waters testing out our material and we didn't want anyone to that we knew to hear us until we were like confident that we could actually do it so this might have been like our first ever show and it was a a weird 
a weird like night the bands were all over the place all different genres there was like a rapper there was like a a hair metal band and (laughs) then there was us in the band who brought us out and uh i think we did okay there were a lot of hiccups someone in the band was super late and we didn't and he didn't play half the show with us which was awkward um (laughs) but the worst part was the one of the bands that was playing their songs were just so misogynistic and so insulting and i was sitting there and looking at my friends like why are we here like what are we doing associating with these people and then at the end of the night we were like you know saying thank you and shaking hands and making small talk and i was sitting there like how can you like i don't know how can you play a show with with a band with women like how can you it just it felt so icky and so wrong sorry this isn't a funny story but it's like it 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 really was an early lesson for me about like the company that i keep and the community that i'm a part of the music community in the bay area especially i think i don't really know about other places but in the bay area it's so diverse and there's so much great music so many women and queer people and people of color making amazing music and uplifting marginalized voices you don't have to waste your time you know playing with bands or or at venues or with you know promoters or engineers that are misogynists or who are like you know who don't care about uplifting other people's voices so you know I learned that lesson the hard way by just sitting there, like, squirming in my seat so uncomfortable. Uh, The band, they had uh, one of their songs, the chorus was just T-I-T-S, We Love Tits. And I was sitting there like, oh, "Oh, God, no. (laughs) So very deep lyrics is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They really dove deep in their uh, wells of creativity for that one. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you learned that lesson early on, uh, because I think it is an important one of of who you're associating with. Uh, And also just, like general life lesson i think too is you want to surround yourself with people that are are good people <laughs> hence the name of this show um yeah. but <laughs> especially just like i mean not everyone has to think exactly the same as you but like if they're just kind of generally terrible people it's probably probably best to not uh, not hang around them yeah i get this question a lot in in interviews people are like what's it like being a woman what's it like being a queer woman in a scene that's like so so hard on on people with your identity and it is it is hard for a lot of people and there are a lot of boundaries and a lot of hoops to jump through and not every community is like the community in san francisco but at the same time like if if someone's hard to work with and i find that someone's like you know doesn't want to work with me because they don't like working with women or queer people i will never work with them again honestly there is no reason i don't care if it's the best opportunity in the world if a person is like you know rude to me or doesn't want to work with me i don't want to work with them yeah i think that's a good a good uh life lesson just in in really in any relationship that you have you know business professional friendship whatever i whatever the case if they're shitty to you like yeah, there's there's plenty of people that won't be uh, that you can hang out with. I also need to revisit the you kind of slipped this in there of your bandmate arriving halfway late, uh, halfway oh. through the show. Was it this was like just... a grand entrance? Uh, no, on stage? it was just traffic. Like I said, we picked a venue that was really far away from from San Francisco. And, you know, that Bay Area traffic, it'll get you. It's yeah, that is. <laughs> That is true. I have never owned a car in San Francisco. I've also never lived in San Francisco. But every time I visit, I am, I am just like this traffic. Yeah, it's not it can ideal. be pretty bad. Yeah, love the cable cars though, which makes me sound very touristy. I know, but <laughs> still, such I a blast. I have to say, I've never actually ridden on the cable cars. Oh, I did a whole. I took a journalism class in college, and it was like a travel writing class. So our spring break was a trip to. Uh, San Francisco, oh, and fun. we had to pick two stories there. So I did one about Muir Woods uh, and just like awesome. all the cool nature in San Francisco, and then uh, one about riding the cable cars, where I just rode the cable cars for like four hours and interviewed people <laughs> and like the conductors along fun. the way. It was a blast. I was like, "This is so cool!" And all <laughs> that, like, you could tell who was a local because they're just like, oh, "I'm just, I'm just trying to get to my next I'm stop." Commuting, yeah. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> I was like, "This is fun." <laughs> That's really funny. I'd recommend it at least once. You'll probably. I know I um, should. I know I should. 
Uh, gotta wait now, but yeah. once this is all over, I'll I'll go and do that. Yeah, nice nice like fall day. I guess we were there in the spring, but I remember it being kind of cold, and it was like nice. You know, you get that cold air on your face. Can't beat it. That's a good San Francisco weather there. Yes, lots of great stuff. Now another question that I always like to ask is a question you wish you were asked more frequently, and I very much enjoyed your answer of. Uh, how to support up-and-coming musicians because, of course, now in our digital age, it seems like there's a new musician born every second. There's probably more there than that, are. too. There yes. Uh, completely true. And you've, you've dabbled on some of the ways that you've uh, marketed yourself and, and tried to get your music out there. But as far as supporting other musicians, what, what you got? Yeah, in terms of advice that I would give to people, like... Yeah. It's not so much practical, like, you know, play the Spotify playlist on repeat while you sleep. Like, no, what I really (laughs) think is like important is to care about your local music scene. And, you know, it's kind of astounding to me how many people don't really don't really know or care. They'll like go to their they think their local music venue is like the like 10,000 seat, you know, super arena. And, you know, they don't know about the. 200 capacity music dive bars down the street or like you know all ages venues that are doing really cool stuff and there's so much amazing local music and bands playing you know local nights and you know a lot of people just don't know about it or or they they don't know that they can get amazing shows and meet new friends and have an awesome time at these like smaller venues um so in san francisco there's like so many ways to interact with the music community. There's a local uh, online radio station called BFF.FM, which is one of my favorite things ever. And they uh, play lots of local music. They support local musicians in different ways. They host these monthly showcases where you can go see live bands. And it's so cool to just like know that something so intricate and so thoughtful and full of love exists in my community just to kind of like help the music community thrive. And I wish everybody knew about it, you know, and I'm sure there's equally amazing radio shows or blogs or podcasts in every city in the country. So, you know, you got to do a little bit of legwork, but it's so worth it. It'll totally pay off. For sure. And that's something that I've really enjoyed living in Austin is how just like insane the music community is. And I say that very endearingly uh, <laughs> i'm like always hearing about new places i'm stumbling into new you know new venues i obviously like playing in a band as well like i'll, I'll meet people that i otherwise maybe never would have come in contact with mm-hmm. and yeah it is i would say most of my like more memorable memories of attending shows have been at, at those smaller venues like very rarely am i like yes that show where i was seated the entire time and you know, had to do golf claps in between songs. That was my favorite time. <laughs> yep, I relate to that. Although maybe 10 years from now when uh, my back gives out, I'll, I'll appreciate those shows more. Well, all shows should have seats for people who need seats. <laughs> That's definitely part of it. This is true, but yes, yeah. yes. If you can stand and dance, yeah, uh, it's good to stand and dance. Stand and dance, yeah. Lovely, lovely. Uh, well, any other tips that you would recommend or... Should we move into the top three, which I'm very excited about? Let's move into the top three. Let's do it, because you have given us some fantastic, uh, us being the <laughs> listeners. Uh, well, I'm, I'm hyping this up a lot, but uh, this is your top three quarantine video games, which I think we are all in dire need of, and I'm speaking on behalf of, my, of everyone, just for myself. <laughs> yeah, I've been playing a lot of video games. I am like i wouldn't say i'm a gamer i don't like i don't like violence <laughs> at all so the, my video game tastes are uh a little unusual but in this quarantine my girlfriend and i have a nintendo switch and i've been playing a lot of switch games and should i do three two one in terms of my favorites let's do it yeah okay my third favorite i would say is animal crossing it's been getting a lot of hype. I was really into it for a while and would play a lot since I've kind of like toned it down and uh, haven't been playing so much these days, but it is very fun. And um, I have, I'm a part of this like 
Discord server of of Animal Crossing people and we'll visit each other's islands and just talk about Animal Crossing and that's very cute and social, <laughs> which is much needed right now, a little bit of socializing. That's um, fantastic. My... I, I have only played Animal Crossing on GameCube I way back in the day and also had a similar experience where I played it like all the time when it first came out and then realized, hey, it's okay to miss a day or two. The game will actually go on even though they kind of chastise you. For, uh, yeah, they do kind of chastise yeah. you. And I'm like, hey, Nintendo, calm down. <laughs> Maybe I'm going on vacation. <laughs> yeah, I can I, do, I can I live my know. life. Yeah. Um, but I do um, like that social uh, social aspect of it, of getting to, yeah. to visit other islands like that. Yeah, it can be very cute. And it's fun to decorate. This is true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, my second video game, I played um, Pokemon Sword. I really like Pokemon, and I've played many versions on many different Game Boys through my life. Um, but playing Pokemon just really like brought me back to my childhood, and it was really fun. And the Pokemon are just getting yeah. cuter and cuter. Some are really <laughs> weird. There's one that's just like an apple, and one that's just like a teacup. One that <laughs> is like an ice cream cone. <laughs> They're like not as creative, <laughs> but it was very fun to play. Well, they're up to like what seven hundred Pokemon now, something like that. Over all the the generations. Yeah, I, I was like looking at my Pokedex, and I was like, "There's no way I'm filling this out. Like, <laughs> give me back to my original hundred, and I could like maybe I could do a hundred, but this is just like too much." Oh yeah, the OG. Like, if you had me name Pokemon outside of Red, Blue, and Yellow, I could maybe get you like maybe twenty, and I think I might be. Yeah, hyping myself I have a hard time. too much. Oh, no. I have a hard time with that. When I was a kid, uh, my brother and I shared a room, and we had a poster on the wall of our room with like little tiny drawings of all 100 Pokemon and all their names. So, and also there's a song. So I think I I maybe could <laughs> name a, a lot of them. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? This will say a lot about you. I think that Clefairy is my favorite. Excellent. That, What's your favorite? I've always been partially uh, drawn to Golduck, which is the Psyduck evolution. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a, a blue duck with uh, spiky hair and for some reason like a red dot on its forehead. Uh, and the only reason I think I really like Golduck was in the original uh, Pokemon Blue game. That was the first Pokemon I got to level 100. And uh, that's that's like that's a, a pretty big accomplishment for uh, a, any any Pokemon master to get your first Pokemon <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to level 100, which is the maximum, I think, unless it's been changed. But at least back then, that was the maximum. Uh, and so, yeah, just always kind of like Golduck uh, for that reason. Although this is going way back to my uh, an old blog that I still have, but rarely update. Um, but I ranked all the Pokemon back in the day, like the original uh, the original By crew what metrics so it was a it, it's a very um subjective ranking as as many <laughs> rankings are but i did it on a combo of uh like looks and coolness factor uh mm -hmm. as well as the actual uh abilities that they have like from the the move set they can learn and then their stats uh and from that i'm trying to remember what my i think my top three were starmie gengar and zapdos um because I, I definitely put Mewtwo down a little bit because of like how overpowered it is. And I yeah, was like, that's, that's not fun. Like I want, I want a relatively powerful, but I don't want like so powerful that it's banned from tournaments. Exactly. And you want to keep your fans guessing like, exactly. okay, Mewtwo's number 12. Who's going to be number one? Yes. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> I don't want them predicting number one. Cause this, exactly. yeah, this wasn't all at one time. It was over the... So over the course of like two and a half years, because I was terrible at updating it, but wow, I know some of those fans. Congrats really... for finishing it, though. <laughs> That's you. impressive. Thank you. It was took way too long. Good times, though. <laughs> Good times. All right, so we've gotten way off on a Pokemon tangent. What's your number one? My number one is Zelda Breath of the Wild. I like beat the game. I was like. I kept telling people like I can't wait till I beat Zelda. I'm I'm like addicted to Zelda. I can't put it down. Once I finish it, I'll be free. And then once I finished it, I was so sad. <laughs> I was so sad. I was having dreams about Zelda. 
It was such a good game. It was just like really fun to explore this really fun world. There's like tons of puzzles. There's this thing where you can like climb up really high and then just like jump off and fly across the whole map with like a hang glider and that jumping off and flying off a hang glider I like wish I could like jump out my window right now and like hang glide across the street <laughs> it's just like such a fun thing to like think about and want to do so I think about that hang gliding like effect all the time ah uh, that's wonderful and I agree the hang gliding would be just such a cool thing maybe someday I mean like in reality there's this place in the city by the beach this uh, park called Fort Funston and there's like a hang gliding place there. And sometimes you see people like actually hang gliding and I would never, ever try it. It looks so <laughs> dangerous. Like there's nothing holding you in there. You're just like, it's just you in the sky. <laughs> I still remember. Uh, so one of my early albums that I got was uh, the Offsprings uh, Americana, which was mm. my sister's copy, but I, uh, I would I I probably listened to that at least a thousand times more than she did. Uh and the why don't you get a job music video starts with Dexter Holland the lead singer just coming in on a hang glider. Uh, oh. for like no other I I feel like I I don't know if I like heard a commentary on it or like read an interview with him one time where he was just like I just thought it would be cool to come in on a hang glider. <laughs> like there's no it's no that purpose cool. to the video. It's just like yeah, this would be a cool thing to do, why not? And that's kind of how I uh, imagine a lot of people are probably doing this hang gliding anyway. They're just like, ah, it seems fun. But yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like the most secure thing. Yeah, definitely. But I also relate to that. Like, as someone who has to sometimes think up concepts for music videos, I'm like, maybe this would be cool. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's half the fun of doing a music video, right? It's just trying things and seeing how they turn like, out. Like, is this cool? Is this cool? <laughs> We'll fix that in post. <laughs> oh, yes. My favorite. I say that at least once a podcast as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I beat you to it this time. Thank you. Doing my work for me. I like it. <laughs> awesome. Well, you wanted me to give you a top three as well. Yeah. I, what are I, your top three video games? I need some recommendations. I don't have a Nintendo Switch, um, so I am going to give some older. Uh, I'll, I'll stick with the Nintendo theme for a couple of them. And these are based on ones that I've been playing recently. For uh, N64, I popped in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater uh, not too long ago, which is, yes, just a, it's, it's still, like, it still holds up. It's still fantastic. I still hate the Phoenix Downhill Jam level, I, <laughs> which, you know, apologies if that's your favorite level to anyone listening, but that level sucks. And I hate it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just such a blast to go through. Obviously, the soundtrack on that game is fantastic. I still can't hear Superman by Goldfinger without hearing the beeps, uh, you know, at the certain mm -hmm. point where you, you'd hear the beeps doing your run. Um, and also just like the two minute runs are kind of nice to like not make you overdo it, like in yeah. a weird way, like the time constriction, you're kind of like, OK, if I only have like 15 minutes to play a game, although I guess this list is supposed to be if we're cooped up and we have ample time uh to play but still That's you could also true. do that with tony hawk there's lots it's of nice characters. to have some yeah a little bit of uh boundaries with your video games too because i can really go in and then <laughs> next thing i know like the day is gone get, yeah just get some crippling arthritis uh from mm -hmm. from all of that it's fun times though fun times <laughs> uh and then a second game is another one that I've been uh, revisiting a little bit, uh, Fantasy Star Online, Episodes 1 and 2, uh, mm, which was a I game. It's, it's kind of a, I kind of hate it sometimes, but for the most <laughs> part, I enjoy it. Um, it's been a really long time since I played Fantasy Star Online. Yeah, it's same. Like, I have not, uh, outside of that, uh, Episodes 1 and 2, I have not played a Fantasy Star Online game since then, which... I don't know when exactly it came out, like 2001, 2002, something like that. Uh, so, but yeah, still, still fun to get back in there. Uh, I always thought the the sound effects and music in that game was really enjoyable. I still believe that as well, uh, and just a, a nice way to kind of like grind through. It's a very much like a you know an RPG, like collect stuff, mm -hmm. level up, all that good good thing. So, definitely a good way to waste some time for sure. One of my best friends in high school was in my band and also in another band that was called Photon Drop, Ooh. Um, named after Fantasy Star Online. 
That's very impressive. Shout out to the now defunct yeah, photon, photon drop. drop. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. they're now defunct. I used to call them PhD. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that made me very happy. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> so I'm, I'm torn on this third one because part of me wants uh, to do an actual video game. Uh, so I'll, I'll, this is going to be a top three and a half because I've got two. Okay. One is if you're doing a solo player uh, on Xbox. I had started uh, replaying L.A. Noir. Uh, it's actually on like every system at the time. It's on Wii, regular Wii, I think, maybe Wii U uh, and PlayStation 3, I guess it would have been at the time. So whatever your uh, not current generation of choice uh, console is you can play it on that and it's probably available as, as a downloadable thing nowadays since everything seems to be uh, but you play uh, as a detective in 1940s Los Angeles and uh, solve a bunch of crimes and I always enjoyed the uh, there, there's definitely like some repetitiveness in it uh, of like finding clues and sometimes you'll have to kind of like go back to a place that you were already at um, but I think like the the visuals are super impressive because this game is like 10 years old now and they use all this crazy facial motion capture um, because a big part of the game is interviewing people and believing them or accusing them of lying and like showing the proof that you have. Um, And I also... (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun, uh, you know, like, can you read people uh, type of game. (laughs) And I, for you know the the subject matter of the game like it's not super violent um every once in a while you'll see like there's a a part where you're at the arson desk so you see a lot of like charred bodies uh but Hmm. such is life in in the day of a detective um that's true you got to do the job exactly exactly um but i also like the uh the detective will get like unreasonably mad sometimes like uh, you know, he's interviewing someone and they're like, oh, you know, I don't think I saw anything. And he'll, you can choose either uh, truth, doubt, or lie. And if you choose doubt, it's the same as accusing them as lying, but you don't have to show any proof. <laughs> so mm. uh, that's usually my go-to because if I'm like, I think they're lying, but like, I don't know if any of the things I've found so far can actually point to that. <laughs> like, I'll just choose doubt. And uh, you you can tell based on like a little piano sound effect that plays if you've chosen the right thing or not um but i'll enjoy where like the person's like oh i didn't see anything and then the detective will be like bullshit like tell me what you saw mm. <laughs> and they're like God, whoa, you're whoa. like i didn't mean for him to yell yeah. okay <laughs> i know i just wanted him to like lightly <laughs> suggest <laughs> that bad things could that happen really yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh that's a fun fun little one player uh game and a lot of a lot of fun uh cut scenes in that too so that's always enjoyable Gives my fingers a break, at least, from uh, <laughs> from exploring the virtual worlds. Uh, and then I also got to give a shout out to the Jackbox party packs uh, of games. Oh, yeah, I've been playing so much of that. I know. I, I almost didn't include it because I've been playing so much of it, but uh, <laughs> and I need a break. Uh, but they're, they're, they're not all created equal, I will say. Some of the Jackboxes are more uh, enjoyable. Yeah, some of them are more like fun for me and some where I know I have to really like flex my creative muscles and be funny. I find a little bit stressful sometimes. <laughs> like if I'm not in the mood to be funny that day, like I really have to try hard. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, a favorite game that you want to give a plug to from the Jackbox? Yeah, Drawful. Drawful's the best one. Yes. Drawful is very enjoyable. Uh, I also I will. I, I like Quiplash a lot, which is... Uh, one of those games you were talking about it, about having to flex your creative muscles. I uh, so I do like Quiplash too. Okay, if I'm in the mood for it, I like it. Excellent. Yeah, uh, I will also. Let's give a shout out to the worst game in any of the Jackboxes, which I just played for the first time over the weekend. Uh, that's called Zeeple Dome, uh, which I believe is on Jackbox Party Pack Five, and uh, it's probably the closest thing to a video game in one of the Jackboxes. Uh, but we played. The, it's a it's a four round game. We played four rounds, and at the end of it, our group of uh, what do we have? Six people had uh, no one knew how how to play it. Like no one knew what our objective oh was God. or what we were doing <laughs> for the past ten minutes. I, as far as I could tell, you fling 
your little uh, humanoids, which are zeeples, at uh, these like balls of gas or something. I don't really know what they were. Uh, and uh, like no indication of whether it would harm you or like you'd destroy it by going into it. Uh, but I found my character dying many times throughout the, uh, you know, 10 minutes of it. And uh, <laughs> once was enough for that one. So <laughs> that one gets my thumbs down. Do not recommend. Okay, good to know. I will not play it. Excellent. Yes, please continue not playing it. And you'll, <laughs> you'll be just fine. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, Maggie, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to check out the EP, uh, if they want to recommend video games to you, where can they reach you? I'm easily reachable at Maggie Gently on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. You can listen to my music on Spotify or Bandcamp or Apple Music. And if you want to buy my cassette tape or any other cool merch, you can do that at BraceCoverecords.com. Cassette tape. I love it. I love cassette tapes, too. Yes, so. they are wonderful. Wonderful stuff. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for hopping on. This was a blast. I have lots of new games to check out. Uh, yes, and also, of course, great music to listen to. Uh, maybe we can find some Photon Drop uh, online, perhaps, even. Yeah, I'll dig in and see if I can find some for you. Excellent. Really got to search <laughs> the deep web, but totally well worth it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joey. Absolutely. Thank you. And, of course, we got to wrap up with a corny joke. Uh, and I'll make it music-themed because... We've just been talking about music. Uh, I probably didn't need to to say why, but uh, what do you get if you cross (laughs) a sweet potato and a jazz musician? Mm, I don't know. What do you get? A yam session. Get after it today, people. Love it. (laughs) 